All right. Thanks so much for uh, checking back with us after an eon or two. It's FYA. I'm Joe Rinaldi, and I got my good friend, Reader Andy, over here. Hello. FYA, and we've got in the house none other than Mikey Beats, a.k.a. Mike Beltran. Say hello to your audience, friend. Hi, kids. You're now tuned into Joe Rinaldi's podcast. That's not what it's called. Oh, I don't know what it's called. What's it, what does FYA stand for? FYA for it's, your originality. It says, no, it stands for fuck your agenda. Ooh, are you ready to get started? Did I spell it in general? Yeah. So what do you want to talk about? Yeah, because fuck that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I don't even know. I didn't even get an agenda. I thought this. Yeah, is, I have an yeah. agenda. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, hey, what? Hey, fuck your agenda. Yeah. Thank you. What's your nationality? Oh, me? Yeah. Start from the top. Go all the way through. There's a lot, right? Oh, there's a lot. Yes. Uh, the most mix is uh, well, Mexican. But I mean that's a whole mix That's like saying you're American And the other side of me is Canadian Which that's like saying you're American So basically American Because you were rolling yeah, around at this Oyster Vest thing Claiming some sort of false identity with Irishmen Oh yeah actually I am uh, Let's see here I am tw- 25 What's half 25% 12.5% uh, Irish 12.5% You have anything to do with this uh, country of Brazil? Uh, no but I follow Portuguese muito bem Wow Yes mm. I'm polyglot what? Yes. I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? That means uh, more than you speak more than two languages. Plus the Ananda. Ah. What's the other one? Uh, the other one is Spanish, and then English. Barely counts. And then I speak blackout really, <laughs> really well. That's the fourth one. <laughs> anything else? Anything else in that whole agenda? Um, I mean, not agenda, but like nationality thing that, that we haven't touched on? Because I thought there was a lot more than that. Uh, Scottish, mm-hmm. English. Filipino? Irish. Mexican would be uh, French. Um, in indigenous blood, uh, yeah, and and just a lot of piss I, and I mean, personally, I, I think you look Uruguayan. Oh, I appreciate that. Well, there's some good-looking people in Uruguay. What do you know about Uruguay besides that they legalized weed? Yeah, I think uh, they're a fairly large drug exporter. Not the not by any means the biggest in the in the area. So I didn't think that there was a lot of drugs coming out of Montevideo. I mean, probably not there specifically, right? But yeah, it sounds like it's South America, so you can sort of assume that you know drugs come from it. But really, Colombia, Nazis hide there. Oh, yeah. oh that's yeah. a fact, Jack. Oh, same oh, with yeah, that Brazil. There's like a huge German town in Uruguay, isn't there? Where Very all these true. Nazis. Right. I down. mean, I always thought that Argentina was sort of the the fake, the imposter Nazi Nazi hideaway. But they were all at in Uruguay. That'd be a that'd be a not bad place if I, if I did some war crimes and wanted to hide out. Seems like a good place for it. South of, Bra- <laughs> South of Brazil also has a very large uh, Germanic uh, contingency. As well, well, they had Japanese. to go somewhere. I Japanese mean, and Italians, yeah. They, the, the losers of World War II uh, f- went down to South America. I moved to Germany. I mean, this is going to be embarrassing. We're going to get into the whole other joke. I moved to Germany in 1971. 1971. 1971. And in 1971, when I moved to Germany, that's just 26 years at the after the end of World War II. And um, there were still mm. just bucket loads of pockmarked buildings and blown out bunkers and war debris everywhere. And the entire country was broken into four categories. And there was a garrison for the French and a garrison for the British. Obviously, East Germany was the garrison for the Russians. And then there was the Americans had their own sector, but they were really all over trying to prevent, you know, Armageddon and World War Three. But it was nuts. And so, you know, in your backyard, you're going down the hill out your backyard in Germany when you're five or six, which is how old I was. Uh, do that math. Um, and uh, you're finding pieces 
of uh, World War II era um, rifles and bullets and casings and pieces of blown out bombs and there's all kinds of signs everywhere and the signs were saying generally both in English and in German if you see anything that looks like ordnance which is a uh, uh, you know slang for unexploded Bomb. bombs uh, don't touch it you know, there could be grenades there could be anything that that was the playground I was playing around in you know stream beds and whatever catching salamanders with hey what's that metal piece protruding out of the mud Right. Bomb. Wow. Right. What cities are um, city? 71 was Zweibrücken, which is German for two bridges, but it's really a really nice area in the Saar region, which is right on the French border. Um, the fun fact about Zweibrücken was during the war, it was part of the carpet bombing regime that they had done late in the war, and there was only one building left. And so you'd go visit the one building, and everything else that it was around it was the reconstruction new part, the Marshall Plan new part. But there was just the one that it was, you know, from pre nineteen forty five. Wow. Yeah. Right. And there That's was it. a French base there too, and so you can go into the French base with your government ID and you know order all kinds of French specialties like frogs' legs and snails and stuff, and take them home. Yeah, provisions, super fun. What a time to be alive. Yeah, seriously. Nineteen seventy one. I wasn't even a sperm in my dad's ball sack. I was like not even a not even a foreskin, not cl- nothing. Nothing. Nada. No. Oh wow. So what year were you born? Uh seventy nine, sir. So you're not that young. Not that old. <laughs> not this old at all. But <laughs> so, uh wow. What what about more of your, your history and experience and where do people know you from around town? What do you do? All oh. that. Oh geez, I forgot. I, I forgot what I was doing here. Um, yeah, so uh, I grew up in uh, San Diego, California, born and raised. I'm a third generation San Diegan, uh, which means my father was born here, and his mother uh, emigrated here from a, a little town in Mexico called Tijuana. Uh, that's a fact, Jack. And uh, yeah, so I grew up in Bay Park. Um, in about 1995, I believe it was, uh, Soma Live opened up on Metro Street, right there uh, at the base of USD. And uh, I got a job there at 16 years old. Do you do that math? And uh, I got a job there, and uh, that's kind of where I got kicked off my my start in the sending a music scene. What'd you do? Uh, at first, I picked up trash. I was a best trash picker in the parking lots. That's 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 a fact too. I, I really picked up amazing. Were kids trash. sneaking beers into that video, that venue? Um, yes, absolutely, they were. They were drinking. Everyone was drinking in the parking lots. I mean, all, all sorts of stuff. All age venue, of course, no beer inside. But yeah, absolutely, everywhere I'd go, I'd see cans and everything, and. I've been to that venue. Inside, it was more, uh, you know, you'd be you'd be sneaking in uh, joints and stuff like that. What kind of bands were playing Soma in, in that year? 1995. Let's see here. Let's go back. Um, well, let's see. That was right before Foo Fighters. I think Foo Fighters in 96. Uh, 95 was, uh, I remember I saw Fugazi there. Um, geez. I mean, uh, Silver Chair, Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, so on the lower, uh, on the lower part of the food chain, this band called Incubus played there. I remember I was uh, blown away by Incubus at the time. Um, slightly stupid, it was uh, in uh, early high school playing uh, the sideshow um, there. I remember seeing Miles and Kyle many, many times. Over that there. is the funniest thing that you would bring up, slightly stupid too, because I always think about that. The first time I ever saw that band play, they were playing the day stage at South by Southwest inside the convention center to like literally three people. <laughs> And the three people seemed like they were paid to like stand there and watch so that they weren't playing to nobody. And uh, 
it looked super odd like you know what it would look like if the red hot chili peppers were playing to absolutely nobody in the middle of the day stage at south by southwest i mean yeah i only think about slightly stupid when i need to think of examples of terrible bands and when i make fun of people it's like that guy looks like he likes slightly stupid or 311 another great example i've of actually that. grown to really enjoy what's going on Hard there. Pass. again i don't really listen to their music because everybody who has their sticker on their car is a, it's just in my experience well they're slightly stupid right yeah and just like not somebody you know like let's let's go get a drink bro (laughs) kind of thing i I feel that way as uh i feel that way about white reggae although i listen to white reggae all the time um not really all the time but i go to white reggae shows i saw joe rinaldi recently at white reggae shows kind of bummed we didn't carpool from pacific beach um that's that's a far far drive thank you that uber was expensive i appreciate it joe did you really do that you really took uber all the way to sleep train no way i drove i got a minivan man come on put the kids in (laughs) (laughs) so you grew up in bay park and that means that we had that conversation when i was running the griffin uh you're like hey that's my hometown oh yeah and you, you had the famous quote about the Griffin, which was before I ever got there, where you told the owners what? What did you tell the owners about the Griffin right when uh, uh, they got it and they asked you what your opinion was? Oh, it's a dollar dollar Budweiser, uh, bottle Budweiser bar. Good luck, gentlemen. Well, it was O'Connell's before that, right? Yeah, oh yeah. It was O'Connell's. I played O'Connell's. I played O'Connell's. I played brick, brick by brick all under the age of 21. But I told them, I'm like, you're, you're, you're good luck, guys. Did you ever play the Spirit? No, but I remember Gigi Allen getting beat up in my neighborhood. Uh, he did a show at the Spirit, and I think it was like the early '80s or something like that. Maybe it was late '70s. But uh, for those of you who don't know, the Spirit is what became Brick by Brick. Gotcha. On Buenos. Classic. Yeah. You knew that's 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 a good call, Joe. Yeah, and they would. The big thing about the Spirit was back in the day for the reader, and this is you know goes back to you, reader Andy. Um, they were the only. Uh, they were the only venue that was actually putting your picture in the paper. So if you got a gig at the Spirit, you'd have your mug in the paper. It's the only one. Everyone so else is all text up. Whoever was photographing was uh, a regular at the Spirit, I suppose. As is typical in why we all fail at marketing bands, it was just whichever one you sent in. So we would send in a picture, and it would be the worst thing you could ever choose for yourself. <laughs> and then that's what would be in the paper. And, you know, so like 35,000 people would take a look at the ad and squint and say, well, that's awful, and then move on. Hmm. That was a spirit club. That was a spirit club. <laughs> that's one thing about the reader that's sort of held up is that it's still a pretty good reference for what's who's playing where this weekend. You know, even if you do it on the internet, you got to Google a couple times. I mean, Bands in Town sort of has that going on all right but they're so annoying it's like i want to get have you seen all of these posts though that all these uh, music luminaries in san diego have done recently where they've taken a collage of ads from the reader from yesteryear and put them into their facebook and said hey remember all these shows and it'll be like strip ads from the reader from like 1984 for the casbah that's a thing right now it is a total we, thing. we just i would our kill archives. that i would kill that in the 90s Oh, I'd kill it. I'd be so good at it. We just uploaded our ga- our uh, archives from 1972 from the very start. So oh. all that stuff is available right now. And if you need like high res stuff, I can always pull it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. If you want if you want to spend some time getting lost, like I go through it and like look at really old ads from, you know, 1990s and 1960s and or 1980s, just sort of go through them and there's 
It's pretty spectacular stuff in there. It's a different product. What you should be doing uh, as a next generation, I am so glad to hear that you did that, which I think is the best idea. Was that that was what I was going to say. But now that you trumped me, thank you for that, um, you can do the next thing, which is like, make your own refrigerator out of a bunch of these ads. Tag that one, tag that one, tag that one. And here's the 15 things that pertain to you. Do that. And uh, get a bunch of crowd participation for what you're doing. And you'd be surprised because I, I, you know, I don't know if they saw the stuff on Facebook and they decided that's what they wanted to do because people were already doing it. But there's a lot of people that want to go fishing all the way through your archives and figure out everything they were ever involved in or every show they ever saw or whatever and make their own refrigerator wall. That's, I mean, yeah, if you've been in San Diego long enough, you've been in that magazine for sure. And probably multiple times. People leave here? Yeah, I know, right? Well, I mean, if they if they make a lot of money, they tend to. I've been trying or to make news. Need to. I've been trying to make news of the weird for decades. And I, I, uh, I friend it. David Moy on Facebook. Really? Yeah, he's he's really active. He writes for Huffington Post. Also, I, really? Yeah, I'm in with the in crowd right now. I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there's there's definitely been a long history. So a- after you got your start, where did you head off to next? Oh, geez. Okay, yes. Uh, so some alive uh, for years, years, years. Graduated high school from Claremont High School uh, from 1997. I spent uh, the rest of my life in Pacific Beach. Really proud of that. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, let's see here. Oh, you're, I play- like a, you're like a politician out there. Uh, yeah, actually, I'm very politically active locally. Yes, that is correct. How do you feel about you, Airbnb in the neighborhood? Uh, you know, it's uh, he, here's the thing. I, I, I'm straight down the middle on a lot of issues uh, with, with the Airbnb thing, you know, the, the vacation rentals, which is a really hot topic right now. On one hand, if I buy my house, I could do whatever I want with my house. Yeah. On the other hand, if it's affecting my neighbors, I'm a jerk. So... There's a lot of a lot of people uh, disrespecting their neighbors going on, and it's very very rude. Uh, but at the same time, you know, times are tough. If you got to rent out uh, your spot to make some extra extra cake, I, I totally get it. Thing I don't like is these corporations coming in from Nevada and Arizona, and uh, they're LLCs. They're not liable for anything, and they just rent it out to whoever they want to. I think that is very rude. I love to see that clipped. You know what's interesting, and I'm glad you brought it up in that light, but. This is the week where it was, or was it last week, opening day at Del Mar, right? Yes. So a whole bunch of super rich people went out and hats and outfits. And I was looking on Facebook and seeing all these overdressed people and making poor costume choices and just going along. And you wonder, where did all that money come from? What did they do? This is a great foray into maybe our first economic discussion of the evening. Um, And... (laughs) I figured it out a couple years ago. Like, what is the job that you have if you're a San Diego blue blood? And the job is landlord. You've figured it out. You bought properties as soon as you possibly could. You rent them for nine months to people from SDSU and three months to people from Wisconsin. And that's your economic model. And you grow it, you compound it, you try to have 10, 12, and you try to buy an apartment complex, you try to do whatever you possibly can to be in the rental market because there's always going to be college students, there's always going to be, uh, we think there's always going to be people coming to see the Chargers play their hometown uh, Green Bay Packers uh, from Wisconsin, they're going to come out and visit, so we think this is always going to be a thing, there's always going to be people who just want to come out to the beach and can't afford Hawaii, so they're going to come out here, so that's what you do. That's the breadwinner job. We may have some tech sector, but that's what we do. Sounds about right. Yeah. Right. Same, so same thing with the commercial too. Then you have um, your whole uh, issue, which is people forming smart corporations to do 
do it from out of state. And you could make an argument that the only reason you're mad about it is because there's not a third generation San Diegan behind there. And it's somebody from another locale that's just taking on the same economic model. And my point is, I don't like either one of them. I don't like landlord culture at all. I think landlord culture, if you want to be politically active in Pacific Beach, California, um, you've got to take people like John Nobel oh and you've gosh. got to kill them first. Slumlord. Kill them first. Well, he's going to die guy. soon because he's like 90. That guy owns right, but he's more probably, commercial property. In he's probably Beach got relatives else. and they probably went to Del Mar two days ago. Yeah, Mary T- Mary Taylor. She's another one. Um, who, who is that guy? Uh, oh, geez. He was on MTV for a long time. Pauly Shore, the Shore family also owns a large chunk of pacific beach also and i mean this isn't this is not really great economic talk because you're basically just being divisive and you're basically saying people selling the asset are somehow evil and people that are buying the asset are somehow victimized Uh, but at some point you do have to broach the subject like is it a net positive effect for the community or a net negative effect for the community you know I mean, you're always going to find people with money and wanting to increase the value of stuff. The, the, the issue is if you own a place in Pacific Beach, you know, your, your priorities are different than somebody who's renting there. People who come in and buy a bunch of properties like that, it's only going to raise your property value, especially if they develop them. So you're probably in a good position. If you're renting there, you're probably going to be in bad shape because rent's going to go up. It's going to be more and more expensive to live there. The places are going to be nicer and nicer, and it's never going to go back down. Absolutely. But, and then on the retail side, the John Noble side, um, that guy has found pot shops. That's his big thing. He's like, I have screwed so many legitimate businesses that they're not really coming back trying to sign new leases for way too much money. You know, I, I've but charged pot, too pot many. Shops spend. They I absolutely I, do. Pot and it's shops, effective. Hookah lounges, tattoo shops, and uh, sushi joints. That how is how do hookah lounges make money? Uh, Who goes to a hookah lounge? Well, I guess I did when I was now. Not we're, now we're getting into political uh, <laughs> discussion. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, there's a huge uh, Middle Are Eastern we, con- contingency in San Diego, and they love to go to Pacific Beach and hang out and uh, smoke their nagila. I mean, we have you know a ton of Iranians, Iraqis, uh, Israelis, tons of them coming to town. In fact, I used to work for um, Faras over there at Sinbad's uh, hookah lounge on Garnet Avenue. That was actually my first job in the. Uh, bar restaurant industry was at Sinbad's Cafe. That place used to be Stella Bella's back in the 90s, which was a coffee house. And my band, uh, Best of Breed, Bob, with Jimmy Lane, we used to play there back in the late 90s. And uh, that was a coffee shop. When the new place opened up, it was Sinbad's uh, Hookah Lounge. I went to them and I said, hey, you need me uh, to work here. And they said, why? And I'm like, because I know everybody. They're like, yeah, whatever. And I'm like, well, I'll tell you what. First night's free. Second night, you got to pay me. Well, what are you going to do? I'm going to stand out on your porch and pack the place. I packed the place within a half an hour of the doors opening, just saying hello to every single person that I knew, which is every single person that walked on Garnett, and brought him inside, bought him a beer. Everybody rolled in there. It was amazing. That sounds like an era like akin to the Mayflower. Yeah. <laughs> it does. Does, does, I does mean, that still happen? Do you recruit the college girls coming off the street into Sinbad's? And- now I do it off people's lawns, and I actually have them come into their house and drink free beer. But That works, too. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember the old days. I remember, you know, walking from my house on Law Street and walking up to the Tiki Room in the late 80s, early 90s, and it just being a different version of Armageddon than it is now, a different version of shore leave <laughs> than it is now. But right. I, I try to make the same walk now. And it, it seems like, uh, it is a pack of coyotes waiting to prey upon a poor kitten somewhere. Oh yeah. Pack a pocket knife. No, you don't have to, you don't have to do that. <laughs> All right. We'll be doing some yak shaving. So what'd you do after that? 
Oh, geez. Um, okay, so I played in the band for a while, and then I got that job uh, at Sinbad's. I ended up getting a job downtown at a place called Red Sea Lounge, which is still there to this day. If anybody out there actually knows where Red Sea Lounge is at, you found the rabbit hole, you went down there, and you OD'd. Uh, the Red Sea Lounge is down there on, um, uh, that's on Fifth Avenue, right off the corner of Fifth and F. Um, what's on that corner right now? It used to be Bitter End. Now it's How can you else. find anything at the corner of 5th and F? <laughs> it's, it's confusing. What's no, It's easy. To, G Street, go home. F Street, Fagoda Horton Plaza. Yeah. Easiest thing to remember. It's uh, Gypsy, uh, Tipsy Crow. Tipsy Crow. Yeah, which is Tipsy a good Crow. time designs place. Well, those guys... Yeah, you're right. You're mm-hmm. right. Good call. Ty Hodder. Hey, how you doing, Ty? Um, so... Um, yeah, so Red Sea Lounge. So the guy for, who owns Red Sea Lounge, Carlos Solo, who actually owns the whole building, um, nabbed me from Sinbad's. He said, I need you to work at my place. Because basically at Sinbad's, I was doing a TJ Barker routine. In fact, I'll just bust it out. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, it's an amazing concept. Step right in. That's right. We got beers. We got hookah. We got anything you want. Come on. It's a beautiful day in uh, PB in San Diego. Blah, blah, blah. Do the whole thing. You know, get some euros. So the guy uh, took me downtown. He said, I got a job for you. Boom. So I stood outside his venue and I did exactly the same thing. Monday nights. Hey, everybody. Monday nights. It's uh, hip hop. Monday nights. That's right. Get your classic grooves on right here. No door charge. Ladies, we got stiff drinks and stiff, you know, this, that, and the other thing. I just go nuts. So I do the TJ Barker thing over there. Then I bought my turntables. Then I became a DJ. And I became a DJ because I was a bass player for, I mean, years. At this point, I've been a bass player over 20 years. And, uh, you know, it's really easy when you're on the rhythm end of it, the beats and the rhythm, uh, to move. if you're in a band, if you're a drummer, if you're a bass player, it's really easy to go into uh, getting the turntables and beat matching because it's the same freaking thing, man. It really is. So you were paying attention when Incubus came through? I actually was. Yeah, yeah, that was a Fungus Amongst Us uh, tour. Uh, it was amazing. That bass player back then, it was a different bass player now. I forgot the guy's name then, but super slappy, super happy. What kind of turntables did you get right out the gate? Oh, you got to go techniques all the way, man. You didn't do new marks? Didn't do pioneers? No, 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 no. Just yeah. in case? Just in case it was an avocation? No, 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 no. I looked it up uh, back then, not on Google, but the uh, streets of Hard Knocks, and I asked people, hey, what are you playing on? Techniques. Boom. So... You wound up becoming a big-time DJ in the confines of San Diego, going from club to club and playing uh, the money shift. The yeah. Shift where, the shift yeah. where the bars made all their money. Yeah, yeah. Big. And it started from hawking on the street, and it turned into that, which it's really the same job, just you've got decks instead of just standing there. Yeah, instead of saying what they want to hear, you play what they want to hear. And uh, that continued for a second until you became the Adam Sandler version of yourself. Ha! That's called my 30s. Right. <laughs> um, oh, I did skip a step. Oh. I forgot. I, I went to City College uh, for my radio degree because I transferred from Mesa College. Um, uh, I wanted to go to a state, but at the time, state no longer had a radio degree, so I actually went to uh, City College, got my radio and television degree. I worked for the big corporate monster uh, that was, uh, oh, geez. Clear Channel. Clear Channel. Thank you. I'm glad. Thank I'm you. here to help. I appreciate that. Uh, and I had a job with KGB 1015 uh, for, uh, I think, a year, maybe two years. That was before I got the job at the Hookah Lounge. Um, and I got fired. I got fired. I was a promotions assistant. And I actually got hired on to KGB 1015 uh, while I was still in college, which is unheard of. Getting a radio job and getting paid for it, like, right away is unheard of. You always have to give them free time and all that. And, you know, next thing you know, you got a full 40-year career not getting paid anything. But, um, but yeah. But, 
the only thing that it accomplishes is it puts you into royalty status in San Diego radio because every single person, especially in the podcast circuit, you know, every single one of these people that that are rolling around, they've all been fired multiple times from different radio stations. Oh yeah, you know it. it <laughs> That's sort of just how the business works. That's a fact. That's how I saw, uh, I met Tim Piles for the first time there, speaking of getting fired from a job. I'm, uh, yeah, I saw Tim Piles, and uh, we, we hung out many times nice. back, back then. Back then. I think he was just a, I don't even think he's on the radio then. I don't know. But it becomes a reinvention game. So, yeah, radio, then reinvention, then hookah lounges, then the DJ thing, and then oh my. Uh, my, my favorite thing. I mean, you know, I introduced you as probably the um, number one wedding DJ in the city of San Diego, That's but now fact. global. That's a fact, Jack. Well, I say uh, locally famous, internationally underground. But yes, I am the best wedding DJ in San Diego. Uh, some people could say I'm not. That's fine. That's their opinion. I don't really care about their opinion. So according to how do you <laughs> how do you rate? I mean, how do you like? What's the zagat on on wedding DJs? You know that that sounds like some sort of mean spirited thing, but it's not. Their brides are fucking crazy yeah they're 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 yes. nuts it's their big moment their whole lives uh, this is <laughs> this is the pinnacle of irrationality is their wedding and you're a big part of it so they want to figure out how to be sure that you're not going to come up as a uruguayan nazi refugee of some sort oh yeah well uh, you know there's a sales pitch and i could sell ice to eskimos so I have the sales pitch down, but there's there's two different there's two parts that are very important in the sales pitch. The first part is I say when you're getting a wedding DJ, you don't want just a wedding DJ, and you don't want to hire a club DJ because if you hire a club DJ, you they won't necessarily be good at the ceremony and all those technicalities and all that stuff that um, a wedding DJ is good at. Now a wedding DJ could be good at the ceremony, making announcements. I'm already and all sold. That. I'm, I mean, but once you get onto the dance let's floor, let's get married right now just to hire him. Hey, that's, that's legal now. Um, but yeah, so that's that's one thing. I'm a club DJ and I am a wedding DJ. But the other part of it, I've been doing events my whole life. And I have, you know, there's a radio degree. There's the events that I've thrown over the last 30 decades. It all actually comes together. For, with all my experience this entire time, it all comes together as a wedding DJ. As cheesy as it sounds, it's not that bad. So the whole reason we got together and did this podcast was to do a victory lap about your next stuff like you're trying to get into some or i should say <laughs> trying sounds subservient to what you're actually you're doing a whole bunch of other stuff outside of it. so you've got your empire you're gonna work as a wedding dj conceivably into the future no matter what you've got this thing down cold you're booked shoot forever me if, shoot me if i'm doing it at 45 thank you really <laughs> Like I, it just gets funnier and funnier. <laughs> I mean, we might, we might want to take a break from forty-five to sixty, but after that, yeah, <laughs> go for it. I mean, uh, all I'm saying is that. You, so now you've got that as your base of operations. So now you're just taking on all these other projects. You, oh, yeah. I mean, you oh, yeah. you've made and manufactured women's swimwear. Oh, that of oh, gosh, you know, there's many levels to this. Yes, actually, uh, that goes into the whole Brazilian thing, Brazilian Portuguese. Um, I did. I imported Brazilian bikinis. Um, and they were uh, they were very successful, and that was in the early two thousands before all the little fifteen and sixteen year olds on Winnipeg Beach were actually wearing them. Mm. True story. And it, like, how do you involve yourself? It seems sort of like he was the model. <laughs> there's there's a few things that, that a random arbitrary insertion. Well, see, there's there's a few things about us a man selling bikinis that is absolutely amazing. Number one, well, you have to be really good. You know how to, have to know how to compliment a woman, but more so, you have to know how to correct what they're doing. 
or something's wrong, you have to know how to correct it without them getting crazy. I mean, you've been married for like 80 years. You know what I'm talking about. So... So I would have. I just don't. Yeah. <laughs> so so you're, you're just absolutely perfect. <laughs> this is great. Another perfect day. Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, there's there, there's just a few things you got to be really good at, and that's that 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 was one of them. Um, but the uh, the one thing that was really great about importing Brazilian bikinis is because they have to be, the body's got to be tight and right. That's one thing about Brazilian bikini. You can't be chunky and funky. Um, the other thing about it was it's an international business, so I was getting them so cheap out of Brazil that I was selling them really cheap here, but still tripling my money. Business 101, make that paper. Um, and then number three, am I allowed to cuss on this? Yeah. Taking bitches money. Yeah, that's right, and I said it. That's not really why Like, I did. So you like actually, like, how, how did you distribute these things? Uh, out of a, uh, I made a bikini lounge out of my garage. So people would, like random like customers would come up or you do oh. wholesale to brands and stuff no oh i know just customers just the girls of, of pacific beach uh, i started with, with my girlfriend who's now my wife um started with her and mother then, of your child the mother of my child she's gorgeous she still still fits in those brazilian bikinis by the way um google that later but yeah started <laughs> started with the you know started with that with the home girls and then went on from there and then built this little uh bikini lounge in my garage i mean this is all small time stuff i didn't make a million dollars off of it um, but it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Actually. It taught me a lot, a lot about business. Um, how are you going to make a million dollars then? See, I need to make a million dollars before I'm 40. So considering the fact that I can't, I know, right? Tick. Seriously. I only got, Tick. wait, how many years? Hold on a second. So, um, yeah. Uh, how am I going to make a million dollars? That's a good question. I can't do it by buying property and renting it out. I wish I had, had that much money. I mean, I can't do that right now but I can build on that. And that's the thing that you mentioned earlier about me as a DJ right now. I'm taking the DJ money and I'm putting it in other places. I'm expanding out there. You own a bar? I do. Uh, single fin down in Mission Beach. Used to be the old Liars Club. After Liars Club, it was a sneak joint. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a, an investor there. I'm also an investor in uh, William Painter sunglasses. Uh, if you're not familiar with William Painter, they have the uh, titanium frames uh, with a bottle opener on them. Ah. Very, very, very excited about that one. Nice. I still don't have any samples. I'm still not a spokesmodel. Yeah, what's up? Oh, geez. Oh, man. I guess sunglass company. We supply you guys with sunglasses. (laughs) Let let me work on that one. Hey, so um, as always, I want to mention to um, our listener um, or three that um, there'll be links to everything. All of these wonderful entrepreneurial visions uh, of Mikey Beats will be out there for you guys to take a look at. I really love the uh, bottle opener sunglasses. I think that's a brilliant idea. It works. Um, And, you know, if you haven't been to Single Van, I recommend the uh, Q cucumber water i think it's fabulous i love that that's absolutely outstanding i'm glad it's good to know that this is uh this podcast going to be on the uh, internets for decades to come so when i run for mayor of this city the uh, taking bitches money comment is going to come back around that's all right trump's getting away with stuff too. i seriously doubt anybody who has an opinion on that is going to listen to this <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. they're under legal advice to go about five minutes and then cut their losses yeah pretty yeah. sure <laughs> but so how are you going to make a million dollars oh how many make a million dollars oh geez um are you gonna are you are you gonna make it uh, promoting Oysterfest? I'm gonna I'm gonna okay. Right now, I, I I feel like I'm a thousandaire. Okay, I was a hundredaire for a long time, but now I'm a thousandaire. I think I will become a ten thousandaire with the um, with the Oysterfest thing. The hundred thousand dream big. <laughs> the uh, the hundred thousandaire thing. I'm gonna monetize beats and eats. I'm yeah. going to monetize Beats and Eats. And I, I hope that's the one that, that gets me to retire from being a DJ and going into... Uh, well, can I ask you uh, real quick? Oh, sure. Uh, this is, I'm, I'm sure I'm stealing your thunder, Andy. I'm sorry. Hey, so what is Beats and Eats? Oh, Beats and Eats. Yes, that is a... a 
That is a column that I write for 4L Magazine, which is a local publication with 25,000 circulation, mostly in the coastal region, um, the western part of, per month. of San Diego per month. Yeah. Um, 4L is actually... Uh, Chris prints it? <laughs> yes, Chris Latham. And uh, he used to print the reader? He used to print the reader. Yes, he did. And then uh, we stopped using him. Yeah, and he went to LA. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, we got sued. Uh, that so, that did happen. Yeah, so he got paid out. That's true. Yeah. That, is, that All that is absolutely true. Sorry, you get a magazine printed. Yeah. As a reference, we print 95,000 copies a week, just so heads up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Killing it. Killing it. And I still read it. I, st- I still do read the reader. I love it. Um, but yeah, so Beats Neats is a, is a column for all magazine. They asked me to write something. I said, can I write whatever I want to write? And they said, yes, you can. And I but said, that's okay. not that Beats Neats is going to make you a millionaire. Not out of the magazine, though. So what is syndication? I'm, I'm filming a pilot right now. A pilot? I'm filming a pilot You right don't now. say. Yes. Yes. I have one guest uh, who has already agreed to do it. Um, Are you taking this based on the momentum of you appearing on some sort of TV reality show the other week? No, I'm taking off this podcast that I'm doing right now. I think this is really going to make me go up and over. What was this this reality show that you were on? (laughs) Barmageddon. Barmageddon. I'll get a link up for sure on that thing. I saw that thing. I mean, (laughs) that's going to get us into our next subject for sure. Uh Uh-oh. What's Barma? Barmageddon is basically, uh, it's where the, 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 the show takes two bars in a city and they swap general managers. Ah, uh, so it's like the, what? Yeah, wife swap for bars. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. So and we, you wound up at Gossip. I ended up Gossip Girl and our grill and, you where, know, where is that again? It's on University Hillcrest. That is, uh, that is huge. Oh, in the what, it was. It was um, Universal. Was it the range at any point? No, I remember it is Universal, but it, Gossip Girl. They actually have some momentum. No, that wasn't Universal. It was it. No, I think it. No, was. Universal was on the corner. That I think that place still shut down. But it is that you're right about that for sure. Gossip Gossip Girl is a big, big venue, um, and I, you know, I, I had a really good time there. I was hanging out. I had my hair down. Um, granted, That's this is what I wanted to talk about. This, uh oh, are we going? <laughs> we're, we're, I mean, we're for sure going. That's what I mean. When when you see the link and you watch the video, and you're the guy, and this, I mean, it's Gay Bar Central, and they bring whatever seven or eight straight guys in, and you're one of the straight guys, and they bring in the world's gayest uh, cocktail waiter. Yes, yes. And who goes through and says a whole bunch of really fun stuff that you'd have to really appreciate in person. But um, there you are. In your maimed greatness, <laughs> with about double you know, entendre. Well, oh my goodness! It, with like about <laughs> L. McPherson, three feet of just flowing locks. What you got today? I appreciate that. Thank you. I mean, it's amazing. This old thing. Yeah, what's up with that? Uh, the hair? Yeah. Uh, beans, man. Eat beans. Get no, strong hair. No, it wasn't how. It was more of a why question. Oh, why? Oh, oh I'm, man, I'm getting up in my 30s here. I got to rock whatever I can, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Just hang on to it. <laughs> I, um, I, little known fact. Um, I used to rock the three feet golden locks. Oh, you see a picture Serious? of that? <laughs> I would love to see and, that. Um, I actually had to um, get out of the game because I had made a rule and I stuck with it. And that was when it wasn't going to be perfect in front it wasn't going to be perfect ever you know and not not perfect but just not no you're right you're right you know so you know the fact that you still get to do that going towards 40 <laughs> yeah it's a blessing thankfully thank you dad who is 70 or 60 something not bald so i'm very thankful and i mean we we rode some bikes down to go check out the bahia about some other business or whatever and i'd forgotten but uh that I, I don't know you know we, we hang out all the time and i forget oh, oh by the way he's got three feet of hair 
Oh, this whole thing, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually a hair farm. I'm not even kidding. It's a hair farm. Right. I donate. There are people to who? from China uh, that will give you just fucking coin. Yeah, seriously. Uh, yeah, the Chinese. Who do, you, who do you give your hair to? Whoever has the most money in their pocket. Gotcha. I am down. I mean, I'm not literally, trying. if you're ever like destitute, <laughs> there's a place on Wilshire in LA called His and Her Hair. Ooh. Yeah. Owned by the Keshang family. Just roll in there and just get a quote. <laughs> See what happens. Holler. Huh. Yeah, I'd, I'd be down. I'd be down. Okay. Uh, so then, yeah, um, we've gone the gamut of everything up into Oyster Fest. And so then we did this Oyster Fest thing. Oh, yes, yes. And Wait, I, can I talk about how I found you? Okay, Am please. I allowed to? I, you, you know, can do what you, you guys do are whatever asking me you want. I feel like I'm just talking, and I, I, but I'm going to keep talking. So you came in. Um, I didn't know who you were. So there was the Griffin in, in uh, Bay Park, and you know that's, that's my hood. That's where I am from. Like I said, I used to play at O'Connell's back in the day. And I told the guys when they first opened the Griffin without Joe Rinaldi, I said, good luck. Again, back to the dollar Budweiser bottles uh, neighborhood. And um, so they decided to hire Joe Rinaldi. At the time, I had no idea who Joe was. The only way I knew that somebody knew was in there was that I was looking at the, the ad in the reader. And yeah. I saw these lineups. And I was like, wait a minute. There's something going on here. And so I, I paid closer attention, and then I gave a call to uh, Chris Martin. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, what are you doing over there? What are you doing? You've heard of Chris Martin. I know Chris Martin. Yeah, yeah. I so said, what do you got going on? And, and Chris was the one who I originally said this good luck to. Um, he used to work at Bar West back in the day. Great guy. Hilarious, dude. Chris, He's at Flux now. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. I love this guy. He's quality, quality individual. Um I said, Chris, what's going on? He's like, we got this new guy named Joe. And I'm like, I have to meet this guy. So that's when I started calling you or emailing you or whatever it was. Or I think I just walked in the freaking door one day. And I was like, I need to meet Joe. Joe Rinaldi, the new Joe. And uh, and that's when we met. And I, oh, yeah, because the other guy was named Joe. The other guy was named Joe. Joe was, the other Joe was not very good at all. I, I don't have a, any reflection at all other than the fact that... Um, I got a job and they'd hired somebody else six months of hiring somebody else whose name also happened to be Joe. So I go into my new job and I have the same name as the old guy. So if you say things like, Hey, Joe at the Griffin, right? That's split down the middle. (laughs) Right. Hey, I'm kind of feeling cheated here because you said Joe at the Griffin, but you're not him because it's the other guy. Yeah. Right. Half credit. It's too bad. It was, it was, it was tough at first. That's where I also met Joe. Uh, pretty oh. early on in my career, I was I was doing the O'Connell's ad. I was uh, an ad coordinator at the Reader, oh. and then I uh, switched to the Griffin. And Joe was one of my accounts that I supported for Todd, so I swung by a couple times. That's like when I was just starting starting to work, fresh out of college. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, you know who else was involved back then too? And I don't know if he was involved with you, but I know he was involved with the first guy, uh, Bo Dorian. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was in this room yesterday. Yeah, he had a small stint there also, and that's when I first met Bo. That's actually technically the guy that I replaced was uh, right Mancat, right? Because right. uh, he was the guy they hired to book, and then they couldn't figure that out. And uh, they, he was trying; he had a really grandiose plan of trying to leverage his affiliation with the Belly Up to get people to do gigs at Griffin and prove their worth. And then they go up to the Belly Up, and right. I think that's just a little too complicated for uh, what's available to us in San Diego, you know, or on Marina Boulevard. On Marina Boulevard. Oh my so. gosh! Yeah. <laughs> so but, uh, this I, guy, I had a pretty interesting thought recently just you know reflecting on the two businesses that didn't work out in my life and that's uh, I had a record store and then I also had the Griffin and um, 
to say that they didn't work out, that's that's just putting the most negative face on it at all. I actually think about them a lot differently, if, if you're ever curious. And um, I had a record store, and it's called Found Music, and it lasted about two years and six months. And, In what um, year? Give me a reference. Uh, 2001 through 2000, maybe four. So oh. just as people were stopping buying actual music. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, we did that on purpose, by the way. Yeah. Um, but we had always modeled ourselves after a business uh, called No Life Records on Melrose that had also lasted two years and four months. And our goal was to actually outlast them by at least a month. And uh, they were world famous for no reason other than it was a totally futile business run by uh, uh, clerk level jerks like the you know Jack Black character and that whole thing. And high fidelity. Yeah, exactly. And so <laughs> we just really wanted to do that more than anything. And in those regards, it was a complete success. So then you cut to the Griffin thing and yeah, it closed and got sold and whatever. But the whole model at this point when I reflect back has to be the Pink Panther which was the genesis point for the Casbah which was also on Morena which also you know showed up and then departed in like two years and change and you can't go 20 feet amongst the Casbah loyalists and you also can't walk into the Casbah without seeing the Pink Panther because it's right there in the Atari Lounge on the back wall. Ah, that's what you're right. About. There's a there's a for those who don't know, there's a painting of a panther on the back wall. Yeah, of the Atari but Lounge. the Pink Panther was a bar on Marina. That's the that is the bar that started the Casbah. Uh-huh. That was Tim May's first bar. He was an outside promoter. He was doing stuff like you know whatever Club ID and the old Lafayette Hotel and that whole thing. But um, he started a bar on Marina, and I went to it. Uh, when I was in college uh, in 1947, just after the war. <laughs> and um, it was a genesis point. It lasted a couple of years. I, I kind of have this thing, and I'm going to get just crucified by loyalists for saying it, but I kind of have this sort of fondness for what happened at the Griffin because I really hear people tell me, oh, man, they really missed the room. And not just people from San Diego whose band got to play there three or four times, but like people from Creative Artist Agency and William Morris and people from New York and people, you know, culminating in this week on Tuesday, the Imagine Dragons played at Viejas Arena. And they made Imagine Dragons had played at the Griffin. I saw them there. What? Right? Yeah, to about 200 people. And um, Wow. The Imagine Dragons did the compare and contrast of isn't this great we played sports arena last time we played viejas and i remember days when we played at a 200 person venue in bay park wow is there another 200 person venue i mean i guess 11 or whatever it is now rabbit hole no the hideout that's sort of a smallish bar but the compare and contrast for being hideout and being up on university or El Cajon boulevard or whichever um is just totally different we're in you know, Timbuktu. You gotta drive. Yeah, yeah you have to take a car. So to have, and that's, I think, honestly, in 1989 or whatever, that I think that's what Tim Mays found out with the Pink Panther. Like, it, it's really hard to get people to go to a part of town that's sort of known for tile and pipe fittings. Yeah. Yeah, furniture and carpet stores. Right. Where, uh, where was the Pink Panther? Um, if you think about the high dive. Right. And you don't quite get to the Volkswagen dealer. Right. Yeah. Wow. So not the silver spigot, but no, not this no, south. That's, that's too fancy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
God, <laughs> it's too fancy. I'd anyway, love to buy that bar. Anyway, it, I, you know, as, as we sort of roll along and we're all moving to next phase stuff, that the, the best thing has been like Griffin continue. I, I got calls today, like people from out of state saying hey man i'd really love to get a spot at the griffin we heard about it we want to do something like my phone rings even to this day that thing hasn't been listed as an open venue for two years now and it continues to happen like that's where that good stuff comes from hey sidecar guys go ahead and give us a call when you're uh, over the neighborhood thank you who is it sidecar what's sidecar your regal beagle people opened up in the griffin space yeah what is it is it sidecar yeah it is sidecar is it sidecar? Is mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I thought that was the ride-sharing service. Oh, that no, no, is no, no, also no. a ride-sharing is service. Is it also? Yeah. And that's also a local band that was hot in 1986. That <laughs> started with a P. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how did you get involved with uh, Oysterfest? Oh, goodness gracious. I can't give all my secrets away, but uh, I will. So uh, I um, eventually, oh, geez. I mean, oh, I completely forgot about sleeping giant. You can't, giant. You can't forgot, tell the truth, can you? I, well, I forgot about no. It's there's just so Yo, much. Oh, you forgot? You can't recall? No, I just, there's there's many many layers. Uh, so, well, there's sleeping giant music. I didn't even touch on that. I mean, really. How many years have you been doing Oysterfest? Um, five years. This okay. was our sixth annual. I missed the first one. I got involved with the second one um, as a DJ. Uh, my I have a, I own a talent agency called Sleeping Giant Music locally. Um, anyone that is a DJ or an acoustic act or you know events uh, entertainment has probably heard of Sleeping Giant Music. Uh, we got uh, we got approached from the Shore Club, who was involved with the Oyster Fest guys, to come in and DJ in between the band sets. So I got to meet the Oyster Fest promo- promoters, um, or the main dudes, at first. It was uh, Fikra. I met Fikra, and I met uh, Miles um, at Shore Club. And uh, they, were, they were just these wild Irish characters from San Francisco. I mean, Miles is, I guess, the stereotypical old Irish guy. Red hair, freckles, loud, spits when he talks. Um, if you try to fight him in the street, he'll box the shit out of your face. Uh, type type of Irish dude. And uh, Fikra is just this this just big, tall, ogreish, wonderful Irish man. Uh, loud, also spits when he talks. Um, but we all got along because I spit when I talk too. Thank goodness there's a spit screen here on this microphone. Uh, so I got involved in the second year, and uh, they could not get rid of me after that. Eventually, uh, Shore Club unfortunately fell off, and I stuck with it. I started uh, booking all the DJs, and then I started booking all the local acts, and I started booking some you know regional acts, then uh, working my way up the food chain. When uh, this year, um, I decided that... There is people. There are people in San Diego that are better at talent buying than me. So why should I be the talent buyer for this festival? And that's when I gave uh, my my good buddy Joe Rinaldi a call. So Joe was responsible for getting thievery there. No, who was responsible for that? That would be uh, the the main promoters. Um, they they booked thievery. You know how that works, right? No. Um, you make them an offer they can't refuse to fly out to go and do the show. Uh, but you give them twenty thousand, and if you can do the math, um, you can't give them twenty thousand fans with just Oyster Fest in San Diego. But you have to add in the thirteen thousand fans from San Francisco. So you're like, okay, I'll give you X amount of money, and you can come to do two shows. You can fly out in April and do the one in uh, Golden Gate Park, and then you can do the one uh, in San Diego. Uh, in June, and you'll get twenty thousand fans in front of you, and we'll give you this amount of money. And it's it's give a lot of money. Give me an example of how much money that is. You know, like you have a ballpark. Um, Mayor Hawthorne uh, played uh, as a headliner 
for both festivals a, a few years back and probably got 60 grand. Okay. All right. Uh, the numbers have gone up because what's gotten more competitive uh, festivals for any reason? Oh. Right? Yeah. Right. So, anyway. Interesting. It, it, yeah. I'd buy the headliner for them. Um, they ask me about how to buy the headliner, usually about every seven and a half minutes all throughout the year. Um, and, they take some, and they take some of my ideas and then they take them to the marketplace and they go and put them in front of agents. But the truth is, they're putting a lot of money out there and I'd feel more comfortable if, if you're putting that money out, then you call the agent and you put that money out, even if it's my idea and I'll make my money some other way. But, it, you know, it, so... Yeah, the promoter, Fikra, he called. He put a bunch of money out. He got Thievery Corporation. He's got some business going for next year. He's out there doing the same thing. He took some ideas from us and took them out to the marketplace. He's going to go do that. I would much rather that that happen that way. Just, you know, success or failure, uh, it's so much money. It should be them. Yeah, it's a lot right? of money. It's a lot of money. See, here's here's another thing that I want to big up uh, Joe Rinaldi about uh, while while we're on his podcast. You know, of course, you got to blow the dude. It's his podcast. Uh, not, not necessarily. Well, figuratively. Uh, you know, there, there's a whole thing that 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 Joe um, from the get go. Again, we're going back to the, the Griffin. When I saw those bills, Joe was building these absolutely awesome, fun bills that were working at a venue in the middle of nowhere in San Diego. Again, Marina Boulevard's no no man's land. So I seen these bills and he was getting these acts and he was getting these acts. He was getting these acts and for the small little place. And it, I thought it was absolutely amazing and I, and I recognized it. So when, when I was doing my thing talent buying, I mean, I'm an okay talent buyer. I mean, yes, I own a talent agency, whoop de whoop, yada, yada, yada. Another thing is when Joe calls people, they pick up. And that was a problem that I was having because I am a big fish in a small pond in other areas. But when it came to talent buying, I was a small fish in a very small pond. When I'm going, when I'm trying to get talent up against the guys from the belly up from the Casbah from, I mean, what, whatever else. I mean, there's, there's so much. It's, it's unreal. House of blues. Yada, yada, yada. Nobody picks up the phone when I call. Nobody answers my emails. And that's why I was like, this guy, this guy, they, he has that experience. That's just not true. <laughs> I doubt that highly. So, uh, so Joe came in and just put the, together this absolutely all-star local lineup, all supporting Thievery Corporation, which was, which was absolutely amazing. Um, and, and he got them all. He lined it all up. And uh, We had a good run on that. We only had one band turn us down. It was the Drowning Men. Oh, yes. And... Um, heard of them yeah and it's interesting it the reason that the drowning man probably turned us down is because there's stranger status between that band and me or any club i've ever booked even though i've tried to book them into other clubs and it's it's actually i, I talked a lot about it to lou niles who was on one of the other podcasts mm -hmm. and um you know they're in this weird spot uh they just played a belly up show they're just trying to they've been around for 10 years and uh they're trying to figure out their new identity and the reason is that they used to be based out of a bar called uh the flying elephant right right and it's because one of the guys owned it and it's because one of the guys was in a super famous band before that uh foggy molly 
and so they, they had a home it was all super safe everything worked out and so they and that was the night in the show that i would go see that show anytime like 20 times in a row that'd be the best thing ever but that bar doesn't exist anymore so now they're gonna find a new home at a new bar and they're trying to f- work it out with the belly up but the, so like we try to call them we're like hey we believe in what you're doing we think you'd be a great uh, great spot uh on our bill and so let's go do the thing and they're all well it, only because they just don't know us because they don't know anybody so it's not us right they're looking for a home so then we put the young wild on how many compliments did we get for the young wild oh it was was insane and how much shit did i take for booking them right there oh every band every band underneath are like really they're they're playing after us like really and you know every every band after him is like really they're on the bill at all and i'm like come on now (laughs) this is a good thing this is a really and i love that and then they they got on the bill, they, and then everyone underneath, oh, well, that makes sense. And everyone after is like, wow, thank good they were on the bill because they, they really connected. Because they've got, with, with Gareth in the lineup, and they got this great clubby sort of vibe, even though they're super indie and right. they'd done the Irenic and all that stuff and made a bunch of sense. It really did. And the whole thing is, I wonder just out loud if Drowning Men would have just lost people in that same spot. Uh, I will be the one that uh, says it. I would say yes. Uh, I understood the Drowningman connection. I understood that, but I mean, the, but I think the that about, I mean, just to be sure that they don't feel singled out. I think about that in those terms for every single band I book. Right? Am I going to just put a bill together and have that band be there, and then have everyone just look up and go, "Why?" <laughs> right. right i mean that, that how big of fear i mean you do this too like it's it's a big fear when you put that stuff out there you know yeah yeah i think the young wild also benefited pretty highly from that that was a lot of eyes big time yeah they, they definitely did uh b- big shout out to steve uh serrano uh serrano serrano yeah. serrano i just want to shout matter. him out <laughs> <laughs> i just want to shout him out because uh i for- actually forgot why Steve, remind me why I'm shouting you out. Thank you. Uh, but uh, but uh, yeah, I I I enjoyed the the Young Wild set. It was definitely high energy, and it's not just because I love Gareth Moore. It's because I actually really did enjoy their set. I thought I thought it was a, a solid placement. Moving uh, moving forward a little bit on this bill, you had a very strong uh, female presence, uh, female performer uh, presence, a San Diego female performer presence on this bill and I, I i don't think it was recognized as much as it should have uh i mean rebecca jade like i would have never have thought rebecca jade not because i didn't ever think of rebecca jade well i guess actually i didn't because i didn't really know who she was but you knew who she was and you knew how to kick off a festival right would you want to touch on on the, the female aspects of this i mean all the way up to little hurricane um number one i do that every single day with, uh, it, there's no excuse for not 50-50-ing every single bill you do. And uh, I like loud, nasty. I, I still miss any band, uh, Christy Huber's and j- just, you know, Dirty Sirens. That's that's still my favorite local band. Mm. You absolutely have to have that sort of element on everything you do. What happens if you don't have females on the bill? Sasha and Stu? You don't have females in the crowd. (laughs) And you might, but they're disinterested. And when they're disinterested, then the vibe goes out the window. And uh, also, that's 
the, the passive way to look at it, the, the, the positive way to look at it is given the chance you want to be sort of equidistant. You want to like, hey, here's a bill and there's some of you and some of you and some of you and whichever tribe, you know, black, white, male, female, whatever, whatever, uh, Tijuana, San Diego, whatever you want to do on your bill. Okay, we have, we've achieved diversity on this bill. So which one of you wants to lead the charge today? And you create an auction environment in terms of uh, attention aggregation and that is where art comes from, you know? And uh, that's what I was hoping for with the Oyster Fest. I, I think we got some of that out of it, you know? And that's why this is a victory lap, because some of that occurred. I Man, there, there's there's so many different aspects to it. Um, Birdie Bardot. Right. I didn't see that one coming. Yeah, and uh, what I didn't see coming was um, we had... <laughs> Bertie Bardo had to share their artist tent with the sleeping giant DJs, <laughs> right? So oh, yeah. That, that's, that is a classic mix of uh, mutual indifference between the PB DJ set and the <laughs> indie rock set, which is you know, good. Please, please do more of that. Make those people all interact with make one another. Make them hang out. Make you know, them hang out. Make, make Andy and Mikey hang out. This is this is good for all of us, right? But, the, um, but Bertie... Uh, in the middle of it, had to get ready for her set in the midst of Bloody Marys and probably some cocaine or whatever. And uh, <laughs> she was doing yoga. So she was doing praying dog, uh, getting ready for her set in her tent, doing the whole thing no matter what. You know, so there's guys over there ripping rails and she's over there doing praying dog. Hey, yeah, that's a good mix. And it, you know, it was. enlightenment had occurred. And we were fresh off the Beats and Eats interview. So I did, rec- I did know, <laughs> and I, I did know, and Jake Nager and I have uh, some history that he reminded me, and I didn't realize, but Jake Nager played at Soma Live drums back in 1995, 1996, 1997 in bands. And we knew each other back then. And I didn't, I didn't make that association until I came across him again through Oyster Fest. So that was a great thing in my mind that Oyster Fest was very representative of the San Diego music scene. Um, it wasn't just a headliner, you know, national, supporting national, regional. It was national, local, 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 local. And that's what I absolutely adored about it, uh, that, that you put that build together like that. Um, victory lap. This is a victory lap. I, I got to tell you, um, and this goes to the courtyard too, which probably will get me into some trouble at some level. Uh, courtyard did their grand opening and they put on uh, this uh, Mandy Diaz. I might even be saying her name wrong. Uh, who's a great artist and has a great couple records out, but uh, put her into a tough spot doing their grand opening for the courtyard in March. And I went to the see the thing and I like that's where the inspiration came to not do the same mistake in regards to oyster fest because it's oil and water you you don't put stuff that you you're expected to care about but you don't really because you don't have a point of relation with it out there and say well just because we told you it's a national act it's a national act is at the courtyard thing people couldn't have given two fucks Right. And it's irresponsible to the artist, irresponsible to the event, and you should have just probably had DJ Greyboy or DJ Mikey Beats do, do the event, and you'd have been far happier. And so you know, what we were trying to do with the Oyster Fest was have a point of relation that had it make some sense. Otherwise, it would 
be the thing we fought the hardest against at Griffin, which is random. Right. Who is this random quote unquote national artist playing our quote unquote special event? Right. And um, I know I know you had done like he's my brother, she's my sister, and uh, bands like that. And I think that actually Boombox worked really well. You know, and I was just trying to get, hey, how can I do as well as Boombox locally as a second? You know, how who's in the the market? Who's in this market? Who can go at that level and make that work? And that's where Little Hurricane came out. You know, absolutely. The courtyard was definitely a fun opening. Um, one other thing I noticed about it is that they had an unprotected hashtag ticker projected on a huge screen. Oh, and yeah, <laughs> that's, that's always fun. Yeah, so several penises came across that screen, <laughs> more than two, for double sure. entendre. Yeah, so that definitely went but, well. Hey, so um, just to clarify, and then um, you saw what I was talking about. Then, so you were at that event and you saw them roll out a headliner. Uh, yeah, I was and there. So was then, there. Um, did anyone care about that? Um, I, I have a very bad perception of music and I was mostly photographing things and doing my thing. I didn't notice any change in the atmosphere or anything like that. Um, but I think the whole event as a, as a, as a whole was great. I don't know. Um, that was a, it, overall there was a bunch of good stuff. I, I appreciate you bringing up Birdie. appreciate you, you know, talking about Young Wild, the whole thing, the whole bill was good. Um, are you going to be involved with them next year? Oh, Yes. Yes, balls deep. Am I going to be involved with them next year? Uh, that's a fact, Jack. <laughs> yes. So, how are you going to top Thievery Corporation? Hmm. Slightly stupid. <laughs> because Thievery Corporation is something I'd like to spend a second talking about. Well, the, the bassist who played out front with the guitar player and the guest singers is a nutter like I looked him up on the internet later and he's gotten thrown out of an LA club for getting naked on stage and a bunch of other stuff and he's like he's he's uh, he's properly a, a you know performer and character um, and we'll put all of his information up but that guy used to be the roommate of Vaughn Avakian from Custom Printing in San Diego uh-huh. interesting mm. yeah guy got has local roots mm. and yeah he was definitely a big part of their presence and they brought up a bunch of singers and had some hip-hop and had some east coast vibe and had some west coast vibe and did everything under the sun and did it uh, each one of the different vibes they had they did it three times each and uh, it was great mm -hmm. loved it and uh then what happened to them next thing you know it, how does this make you feel uh august 7th at del mar bravo uh th th thank you um I don't really know what to say. It, it, it's it's very complimentary. Some some people think uh, when you when you bite acts off of other shows or whatever it is you're biting. I don't think it's. I think it's very complimentary. And then October second at the Greek Theater. Interesting. I personally, uh, if I were you, I'd feel like somebody was copying your homework. <laughs> That's fine. I I, I uh, not I, but we all uh, put the homework in first. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know where the thought process came from to, like, hey, there's our band, let's go get that band, or whatever. Uh, and it could have actually not been the festival's idea. It could have been William Morris's idea. Hey, you know what? Uh, we've been thinking about a way to reinsert these guys into the market. Let's go do that. Right, right, right. I think they just threw it on the table, and, you know, 
threw it threw it our way and i think we threw threw some thumbs up like wow what a great idea and uh grabbed the ball and ran with it but the cool thing is that um thievery corporation isn't a band they're not it's a ideology Mm -hmm. it's a they they don't just do music they don't just do djing they don't just do club life they also do like venture capital and (laughs) and not kidding um like you know rob garza is a smart guy and is involved with some festival creation stuff in croatia and all kinds of business endeavors and you know they're from dc and uh what do you do when you're from dc apparently you break out because like you were talking about Fagazi and then anyone would bring up the Foo Fighters because, you know, Dave Grohl is a DC guy. And um, I um, I did some, uh, had a weird connectivity with, a, with Dave Grohl when I was in LA because uh, the guys I used to work with who were doing sound for me or the guy, uh, his name is Pete Stahl. And um, uh, he had a brother, Franz. I can't make that name up. F R A N Z. Yeah. Stall, right? So Franz, Pete, and a guy named Dave were a band called Scream. And they were from DC. And that was the band that Grohl was in before he was in Nirvana. Hmm. Wow. Fun facts. Right. Putting it back. So that band and, you know, MK and. Uh, now with the new generation, but then all of the, uh, you know, go-go stuff that was going on in in their heyday out of um, out of DC. DC has one of the richest music histories ever, and um, it there's a reason for it. Hey, have you ever been there, DC? Yeah, yeah, actually, and, I, I and lived you, there for seven years. So you you lived there for seven. Mm-hmm. Great, wow. great perspective. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. So haves and have-nots. It's, a, uh, it's definitely a dichotomy. A, a, you know, dividing line. Mm-hmm. And the whole uh, Maryland as a, as a state and D.C., I'm including in that just because it shares a border and is essentially the same. District Columbia is half Virginia, half Maryland, basically, and then it's sort of its own incorporated little So is 930 Club thing. in a good part of town? Uh, no. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, w- I was pretty young when I lived there, but the, you know, uh, radio stations and everything were all pretty, pretty solid, I gotta say. Uh, and they had a a nice festival scene each one had their own different show and they put it on together and then yeah there's some decent local bands here and there um but yeah it's it's like san diego in the sense that when you you know your your market isn't i mean it's a fairly international city but it's an international city for politics and for you know reform and stuff like that it's not really for music so they tend to branch out pretty quickly when they get successful and i i, I don't know any of the bands that you listed as identifying as a dc band um but also i don't know much about music so that's part of it it's it's fascinating because they you maybe don't know them because neither does joe biden you know there you're right there is a dichotomy there's a whole bunch of people that think about things in sort of msnbc terms but then there's all these people who are super hype on dc as a uh place where a lot of genres of music started and uh you know ian mckay is widely seen as a chief innovator of a bunch of stuff that's now acknowledged as punk ethos six dollar shows and fixing the price of stuff so that it's not uh gouging so that it's a group participation like generally socialistic things you know 
and came from that that city completely out of that whole other spotlight the, 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 the cross is never the, the streams never cross I'm going back there in two weeks. I'm going to make sure I visit the uh, 710 Club. Uh, 9.30. 7.10's Nine, in 30. Pacific Beach. That's right. Okay. Yeah, 9.30. Mike, you'll be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Front. I mean, okay, great. That's a great thing. Um, the 710 Club. What a fucking disaster. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like it's been there a while, hasn't it? Oh, my goodness. It, it used to be a place called Blind, Blind Melons. Melons. Right? Mm. Was that in the 90s? And the same guy owns it. So they didn't change their name because uh, they sold it. But the same guy, Scott, uh, I believe his name is Scott. I think it's Scott. And then he's got a, his brother who might not be with us anymore. But um, they bought it and turned it into what they thought was going to be the belly up for the Pacific Beach area. And they were putting every big name Coco Montoya level blues act into the place and spending money and getting 40 people to come to shows that should have had 150 people thinking they were and this is important Fitzgerald's in Chicago because uh, Scott and his brother were from Chicago then Scott you know who still owns it is they're they're from Chicago and Scott always had a uh, defense engineering job that paid all of his bills and so he was a breadwinner and like putting his money to be sure the bar was going on and they they tried that whole thing and then they gave up. They changed the name. They moved to, uh, we're now a beach bar with burgers and we'll do some reggae stuff and Friday you know, night cover bands. Right. And, you know, spray tan. Let's make this thing go. Yeah. And um, that's where they've been for a while. And let's just call that no man's land. Yeah. I, f- I feel that way uh, about the venue. And I've, I've been there a bunch. I've played there a bunch. Uh, they, they've definitely, I feel like they've steered away from that, that live act that live venue type thing they got those garage doors they open them up and it's total beach bar but i I walked past one time and i was like this is the worst karaoke i have ever heard (laughs) in my entire life and and it's a band it's like a band and they're trying to play it was just a singer was so bad that i i I didn't even for a second consider this person to be a professional and covered in the weekly so really well known some of that isn't their fault um, right across the way from them is a giant condominium complex and on the first floor right across the way from the venue that condo was bought by a lawyer and so that guy is like okay so that live music venue is gonna die mm. and just went after him like hey and so now they have um, they have a SPL sound pressure level gauge that they have to be able to show only has 60 decibels of sound outside of their second closed door. That's where they have double doors. Hey, who can operate a live music? So, like, why don't you just switch right then and become a hookah lounge? You know, why are you still trying to, you know... And I've seen big stuff. Headliner from Oysterfest, Matt and Kim. I saw Matt and Kim play 710 Club. Interesting. Right. Because they used to still do, like, 91X Next Big Thing style shows at the venue because it's a venue. Everyone needs a venue with that can hold 200 people and has a real stage. and No parking lot. Right. Oh, I love PV. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's it right there. But, oh, my goodness. Uh, they are the last... Um, stage with a PA in the zip code hmm. there's there's not one no that's it and that, um, that is it every once in a while they'll rehire their regime and they'll have uh, somebody come in and he'll book some of the same stuff that's playing at hideout or soda bar or whatever and they'll try to put something together and so 
where a hundred people would have gone to one of those other bars, but like maybe twenty five people would go to that one because they're all terrified of checkpoints and everything. They don't want to go into PB. They don't want to deal with the supposed right. douchebags. Hey, well, well, there's nothing supposed about it. <laughs> that that's Garnet. Uh, you know, just go well, go north. The, the, the venue is on Garnet, correct? That is that is correct. <laughs> so, point being, um, boy, end of an era. Yeah, that is a punctuation mark. Is Ted still involved with that? They are just nominally. They don't like to talk about it. They're, I mean, they're honestly they're doing everything they can to support Bolster and do everything for Winston's, right? You know, and that's a uh, Jesse, whatever his name is, runs that place thing. But I don't Jesse know. Egan runs Winston's. I'm just mm. completely. Um, I, I remember there used to be multiple places. You know, Billy Bones and all these different places all up and down the street and they were all clamoring to have bands play at them and make the whole thing work out and now there's none there are not full bands there's a lot of acoustic music though still right uh which it's not a full band i don't know i, I mean, got i gotta say that when i'm going out to a bar to get it something to eat or something to drink i'm not too appreciative when there's a wowed band in there Mm. Like I don't know, it's not uh, when, I, when I go out with somebody and I, I want to have a conversation. I think the volume level to me is important. But again, I'm Absolutely. sort of lame, so no, no, I, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> I can't hear shit, man. I, I, if I hear a, if there's a drummer in the background, I can't hear anything. I can't talk. Do you guys all have tinnitus and sleep with a fan? What? Do you guys all have? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, yeah, I, my hearing's. I mean, like I, I have a ringing at all times when oh. there's not a noise. Yeah, all, all the time. It's definitely been, you know. Yeah. Oh, slightly annoying. Yeah. Um, I I never had tinnitus. Um, I never had. I, I, I never really understood why. And then I got it. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't get it from sound. And I can tell I didn't get it from sound. But I, I got it from uh, blood pressure meds, uh. and, which was a byproduct of it. And it, it, then you get it when it's not from environmental stuff. It's more brain chemistry stuff. Uh, that is a far freakier way to go. Yeah, I imagine. Wow. Because it it sounds a lot like um, somebody tuning a radio that only your head can hear, right? And so when they tune it and you go, right, that, and then it sits on one of them and it sits on that one for like, say, seven hours straight. Right. Right. I haven't heard silence in years. Oh, man. Yeah. And how do you think you got tinnitus? I was, uh, photo pits. Oh really? Yeah, without and, a question. Really? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm pretty sure. Um, and I've had several people tell me I'm stupid for thinking this. Uh, I had a narrowing of my ear canals uh, so much so that they actually put tubes in my ears when they took my tonsils out when, say, I was four, mm-hmm. and they f- fell out naturally. And there's a metal one on one side, a plastic one on the other side. But I've always thought that um, I had unnaturally small uh, passageways into my ears Hmm. and towards my eardrum. And that's why, despite the fact that I've spent 20 plus years in pits listening to just really way over amplified sound from all angles, that uh, I get some ringing. I I knew I was seeing some environmental effect because I'd have ringing that would sometimes last two days, but it it never would turn into that. Do Do you wear earplugs when you surf? Not at all. No? No. 
just to keep the water out of your ears or because the yeah 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 because because your ear will uh the bone in your ear or the cartilage or whatever will start growing into the canal because yeah i i don't surf enough that it's an issue and i know a bunch of people have had like crazy uh surfer's ear stuff yeah my buddy dominic one of the uh the, the main owner operator of single fin just recently right. had that surgery to right. to shave back that bone right yowzers woof yeah don't want to do that really ever so you're gonna do oyster fest uh next year you think it's gonna be great you're gonna oh we're gonna sell out again yeah oh yeah, yeah. uh advanced tickets are already on sale right now i think they're 20 bucks a pop really yeah oh you're taking andy's advice you're putting some early tickets out sight unseen that, that uh, how are they selling though without a lineup uh, i gotta look at it i haven't even checked yet but uh, i'm sure we've sold a few uh you know no more than 100 no way but yeah. uh, that's what you need a couple months out you need a, a about 200 people holding tickets yeah. and that'll that'll sort of get the discussion going and by the time they tell well what are you doing this weekend i'm going to this event then tickets are already, you know, relatively door prices. Right, right. So we have a we have a sliding scale for tickets. The earlier you buy them, the cheaper they are. Yeah, right. Which makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. We like it. Works pretty well. So the answer is yes. Next year's Oyster Fest is going to be amazing. Uh, we're both going to be working it. And uh, it's going to be another great day in the sun at Embarcadero North. Uh, we're definitely keeping it there for at least another year. Uh, we definitely want to sell it out for a few, few more years. Waterfront is tempting. Did you go to Crossed? Uh, yeah, I hate that venue. Yeah? With a passion. What, what about it do you hate? Uh, now, okay, let's, let's just take away for a moment the... Don't be careful at all, please. Okay, I'm not going to be careful. Don't be diplomatic. No, 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 no. no. I'm, I'm go- I hate that place. Uh, in fact, I, I, I didn't go to Cross. I loved the bill, though. And I wanted mm-hmm. to go. I couldn't go. I had to do a wedding, uh, two weddings actually, the whole weekend. Uh, Johnny Shockey is. Uh, um, I mean, we're not like close or anything like that. I admire that guy greatly. Uh, he's done some things in the San Diego uh, music scene for EDM that had been unheard of. Um, much respect. But I went in on Crossfest uh, when I saw the um, the, the damage uh, that that had been done to the park. Now, it's not that I don't like... It, was, it had nothing to do with CrossFest. It had nothing to do with um, even throwing shows there. What what really pisses me off about that place is that they spent... I, I, I know I got this number wrong, but I think it was like $50 million or so, something huge on the entire area, redeveloping that whole area out of general fund money. General fund money that uh, that the residents didn't vote on to to, to do that. Uh, so so I didn't agree with with how much they spent, and I definitely don't agree with them having these massive water fountains in the middle of California's worst drought. Now I know that they recycle the water. I I totally totally understand that they recycle the water and yada yada yada. They're not using that much water. Yada yada yada. It's gray water. The thing is, is that that this is a uh, county administration building that uh, people go to. They fly into San Diego, leave Limburg Field. They go to their hotel downtown. First thing they see is this massive water park right on the ocean front, or uh, right at the uh, the harbor front there. And every single person that goes by there thinks to themselves, "Aren't we in a drought? What is San Diego doing?" Even though we know they're not using that much water, well, they're actually using a lot of water. But it, I just think it's a bad look. It's a bad look. I like to see those fountains run dry. And so you're mad at that park because of optics. Yeah, yeah, that's a big that's a big chunk of it, and the chunk of money they spent on doing it uh, in the middle of one of the worst droughts. I, I think they could have done a different theme. Had they just done something different than water fountains, honestly, I'd be totally happy with the park. So just to play devil's advocate, sure, you know, yeah, okay. So then they did a fifty million dollar park, which yeah, that I, I don't know the numbers either, but 
that's an awful amount of money to spend on that when there's you know bridges washing out on the 10 freeway and that kind of thing and i get that but as it pertains to crossfest the park had been open about 60 days when they had done the cross festival and um they started making money and a lot of money so if you're going to spend money and then you think about it in terms of return on investment, at least they sort of had that part of their priority chain in the right realm because now they started like ringing the revenue bell uh, fairly early on. And then Cross Festival announced that they're coming back and they damaged some stuff, but then they fixed the stuff. And they paid for and, it. Yeah, and yeah. it was, it was $30,000. And, and in government money, not a huge bill. Right. Not to mention... Um, it was a genesis point that also then included a couple of not one, not two, but probably five beer festivals in the interim. And so these guys are all renting the thing. So what was whatever? Let's let's get the numbers right. What was the outlay to build the thing? And then what was the first year, which is a very tough year in a revenue world? What was the first year revenue achievement for that particular park? And why did it do so well? And then, you know, we did Oyster Fest, and Embarcadero has not had a slumping year either. They've done all kinds of beer festivals, and I mean, they've basically found we really like what's happening with Embarcadero North. And so we need a second one of those. Or maybe they didn't. Maybe this is the county thinking competitively, hey, we'd like to have our own one of those Embarcadero Norse. The South is sold to the Symphony. The North, they're renting it. They're doing a great job with renting it. The uh, Broadway, the super fancy Broadway Pavilion, they're renting that thing, you know, gangbusters. Let's get another rental property. And, you know, maybe we can wear really nice outfits and go to Del Mar on opening day. <laughs> yeah, like how you brought that back around. It was forty nine point four million. Right, it's a lot of that good thing. job, Mikey Beats. Well, I actually did know the number, but I did around a little bit. Um, they the, the rental fees for the waterfront park for a cross festival in the, uh, was extremely low. Not to mention the damage deposit was extremely low. That tells me that the uh, the county uh, the people that are running the venue did not know what they're doing out the gates. Um, there's a lot of problems. That's fixable. That's the thing about public parks. Public parks are you know they're they're there they're they're tax you know tax money that's how they that's how they have them you know to rent out a public park is usually pretty cheap there's more red tape you got across um but i think it's good that we can have that kind of that kind of power it brought a whole 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 bunch of people from out of town in here to stay in our hotels and it introduced a lot of pretty major acts to san diego and it's sort of a a a relatively national stop for san diego which i I i applaud that and again, I'm going to circle back to the fountains and the large price tag that this venue came off at. Uh, a fragile venue at that. Uh, I'd like to see a lot more shows there. I, I think it ultimately is a good thing for San Diego, uh, for the face value, uh, and of course, bringing those great, great acts. I just, that massive, massive price tags. But it's too late. You're just going to sit here dwelling on the past instead of taking advantage of what's available to you? Uh, the, the fountains are still running. Oh, the, but... The, but, uh, but Practically speaking, it is wastewater. That water is not something we can drink. Right. It's not. It's not something that gets pumped into your house. Right, right. It would get pumped into the ocean. Right. You got to ignore the water issue because I mean, it, it would appear that they're wasting water, but in actual fact, they're not. Yeah, but the perception is 
a, a giant part of it. Yeah, I mean, it, but I mean, public perception of of running some fountains in a park. I mean, you, if anybody thinks about it for long enough, they think this is a government property. They're running these like they're the ones making these rules. They've obviously thought about something around this, which they have. And think about where this place was before it was that park. It was a, it was parking, a parking lot. lot. It was, yeah. and I, I watched a couple of Fleet Week uh, air shows from that park. You know, because it's adjacent to the trolley stop, and it's the only way you can get down to Fleet Week and really see the whole thing, which is an amazing airship, way better than Miramar, in my humble opinion, because it's free and just massive. You know, it, I'm really into it. It was a giant piece of land doing next to nothing for the civic property it was meant to serve. Right. Which they have fixed. They have fixed. And so now my kids have gone to the big giant playground. Um, all kinds of twenty-somethings have taken the Amtrak train down and gone to some and eaten some ecstasy and had a really great time. And they're going to come back in October. That is I, true. It's 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 moving in the exact right way. So I'm going to finish this thing off by sort of uh, maybe teasing what we're going to do next because uh, you're great. This has been super interesting um you got a ton of skill on the microphone uh you know (laughs) it it seems like you're going to use that to have some form of public office soon and it seems like you're gonna um need to have a forum a forum with somebody as energetic as uh reader andy over here to say hey look let's sort some of this stuff out we We would absolutely love we 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 would love to have you back on FYA, but where's this going for you? You're, are you going to be, how do you be the mayor of 92109? What does that look like? Starts with city council. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, currently I, I hold an elected uh, seat to the Pacific Beach Planning Group, which is an advisory board of the city on land use issues. And I'm also the chair of the traffic streets and parking uh, subcommittee of the PU Planning Group. So I'm actually an elected official. Next stop would be uh, PB Town Council, and then of course going on to be a council person and have my own district. Uh, but I mean, that stuff, I mean, getting up to the council level, that's still 15, 20 years away. I have a lot of fun to do before that, and uh, I gotta make a million dollars too. Gotta make a million dollars. Yeah. Get into that, but it's in your future. You're thinking about it. Oh yes, yes, yes. I definitely have my uh, my 20 year plan laid out. I mean, heck man, I gotta go to Del Mar races, right? Hey, so let me ask you this. Um, so are you this far advanced in your aspirations to have some sort of political entity in San Diego that you've practiced giving speeches? Um, not for necessarily politics, um, but anytime I have a mic and an audience, I definitely, I mean, definitely step up It's to a it. speech I want to see. I, I'll be there. I'll pay money to see the thing. Uh, hopefully not like five hundred dollars a plate or whatever, <laughs> but I, I I really do want to see that. I, I think there'd be a great hybrid between sort of Joe Biden and Big. You know, <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, it's 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 definitely coming. I just have to attach myself to the issue, uh, but but you don't have any uh, for any of these groups that you're already doing. You're already serving on. You don't have like, hey, uh, uh, Mr. Beltran, we'll be. Uh, absolutely presenting about the traffic issue uh, along Mission Boulevard uh, tomorrow at 7.45 on Channel 3. Ah, uh, yes. Actually, now that you put it in those terms, uh, these things do pop up. Um, But I I do my monthly meetings, uh, but nothing nothing on a large, large scale as of yet. Again, I'm just plotting 
scheming and just moving my way up the political ladder slowly but surely. The one thing I am a little nervous about, though, is them uh, finding this podcast and then, again, quoting the... Uh, he said bitch earlier. <laughs> taking bitches money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, but but I, I'm telling you that the, the stuff, it, it's going to work out and it's going to play out over the next 20, 30 years because I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I'm either living in PB or Bay Park. Hey, so thanks so much for coming out. Uh, it's been great listening to your sp- perspective on all this stuff. We want to have you come back out again because it, it sounds like we've really only touched the surface of the whole thing. We'll probably need to do a couple more victory laps with Oyster Fest. Uh, I know Andy has a bunch more grilling about gray water he has lined up for we'll you. do some more research. Yeah, uh, right. and <laughs> spreadsheets. Sounds uh, good. But uh, we're good. This is FYA. Uh, it's been myself, Joe Rinaldi. We've got uh, Reader Andrew over here. And tonight it's been Mikey Beats giving out dissertations. Thanks so much. <laughs>